fuck me. Queer Horror Cult. Yay! A podcast. It is a podcast. Thank you. So I remember a few weeks ago we did our plea to like get get people out there to uh, start listening because we want to break 10k before uh, our, our year anniversary comes up. Mm-hmm. And I don't know what people have been doing exactly, but it must have worked because we are definitely going to blow past that. Yeah, we've hit nine yeah. already, right? Yeah, we're past nine by a good clip. We'll probably uh, hit 10K by the end of this month, let alone Sick. next month. Thanks, guys. Yeah, yeah. So uh, thanks for, for spreading the love and all that. Thanks, and guys, for... girls, and gays. <laughs> nice. And ladies and gentledems and everybody else in between. Everyone, however you identify, thank you for being a part of the family, the cult. For joining us. Yeah. Um... So we've been looking at like uh, at what's been popular, what what's going over well, and I think going forward we're going to try and do more of these single movie focused episodes, mm-hmm. sort of mix it up a bit. And uh, so this week we are going to be looking at another notorious, sort of infamous for issues involving LGBTQ individuals, mm-hmm. and one that I feel like doing a queer horror podcast, it's kind of obligatory. Yeah. 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 I mean, not that when I say that, I don't mean like it was a slog to get through. It's like, I guess we have to. God, no. No, um, I absolutely love this movie, all problems aside. Uh, But we're talking about 1991's Silence of the Lambs, if you couldn't guess from the episode title. (laughs) Yeah. The title was great because we we finished watching, rewatching the movie. And Lori's like, oh, shit, what do we call this episode? Do we have a pun? Do we have a name? Anything? And... I was just like, queer horror cult gets the hose again. And I didn't think it was that funny. I thought it was just kind of stupid. But Lori, like, burst out laughing and thought said it was, like, the funniest shit ever. I'm glad I wasn't, like, so- <laughs> taking a drink when you said that kind of deal. <laughs> yeah, that would have been pretty funny. But I'm yeah. glad you weren't either. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, that, that was one of those... I was just saying something stupid that I thought was just stupid, and it turned out to be, like, the funniest thing ever, apparently. I feel like a lot of our better titles have sort of come out of that. Of someone just like, oh, I'm going to propose the dumbest sounding thing, and then the other person is like, that's the greatest shit I have ever heard. Excuse me while I go, like, change my pants from pissing myself laughing. Yeah, like, that was kind of, like, last episode, too. It was just sort of like, what's the dumbest (laughs) way we can work a Lovecraft pun in? Mm -hmm. Um, It kind of goes for a lot of the titles where it's just, like... We were partial to puns, if you couldn't tell. Yeah, yeah. Puns and alliterations and rhymes. Yes. Just that. And the more the of those you can get. That is rocking the trifecta. Yeah, that sure. is. That will. That gets us. That's how you get us. <laughs> the more, the better. Yeah. 
we might have some interruptions this episode before we really uh, keep going because we recently adopted a new kitten. But, yeah, we had asked uh, our Instagram followers to help us pick a name out of the right. two that we had. It came to a 50-50 split, so yeah. super unhelpful. But we did, just kidding, I love you guys. But <laughs> <laughs> we were honestly, yeah, we we had trouble committing to a name for like a week. Yeah. And we de- didn't even end up going with like Thana or and, and Tura. I think it's funny because even though we did eventually name her, we still just refer to her as the baby. Yeah, I'm always just like, baby. Because I yeah. called her that for a week straight when she didn't have a name. Yeah. Yeah. So but it's, sorry, it's just for an update. We ended up calling her Ember because she's a little firecracker. Fucking is. Uh, the tiny, tiny scratches all over my legs and yeah. arms. Yeah, she figured out that. that she can, like, climb up your body with her claws if you're wearing yeah. clothing. So she loves to do that. She, We love her, but she's a stinker. I'm glad I'm not a shorts person. Otherwise, my legs would oh, be, like, God. bloody all the time. Yeah, no kidding. Yeah. But yeah, she's a very much like a tortitude cat she's a tortoiseshell which we've quickly learned are notorious for yeah being little uh little stinkers little stinkers <laughs> lovable indeed. little stinkers so but yes yeah, that's, so that's a girl <laughs> that's the disclaimer i just want to throw out just in case if you yeah, if this you hear, is a little disjointed at times we are here is be like well someone else is talking it's because the cat is climbing up our legs sounds good so i'm gonna guess if you're someone who's listening to this podcast you've probably seen silence of the lambs i would think it's uh, but not necessarily. There, are, I guess there is always that one that people have where they're like, "Oh, you know, I've sh- been meaning to see it for yeah, years." Yeah, that, that blind spot. Yeah, yeah that totally. one that's just like I just never got around to it. So get around to it if and that's you. You're could, valid, but I could also do it. appreciate people who have like heard the criticisms mm. of it and then decided not to watch it for that reason. That's um, fair. I think, and this is something that I want to get into in this episode. I, I think the criticisms are both founded and unfounded for different reasons. Kind of like with totally. cruising, you know, how mm-hmm. there was like, I, I think the criticisms are super valid in some regards, but then mm-hmm. in other regards, I have criticisms for the criticisms. Yes. Um, it's not very cut and dry. But this one is uh, more so than cruising. I imagine it would have some popularity that people, a lot of people would have seen it mm-hmm. because uh, it's not a horror movie, you guys. It's a thriller. <laughs> it's elevated. Yeah, it's it's elevated horror before that term took Yes. To hold because it was an Academy Award winner. Mm-hmm. And so as soon as it's an Academy Award winner, it has to get it's that not thriller distinction. Anymore. And for me, a solid thriller kind of falls under the horror umbrella. For sure. Kind of thing. Like, uh, it's a different way to portray horror, but it... Like, I don't know. I feel like not all thrillers are necessarily horror movies. Mm-hmm. But, this but one, a lot th- of them this are. This one I would call a horror movie. Like, it's hard yeah. to, to uh, watch this mm-hmm. movie and think the way they portray serial killer stuff in it that it's not a horror there's nothing movie. horrifying about this it's not yeah. trying to scare or to titillate yeah it's just trying to psychologically thrill you yeah it's like i think shows like uh maybe csi could like edge in on thriller territory but i wouldn't consider that horror totally so this movie won kind of like the big four i believe it won uh best director best picture Best actor, best actress kind of thing. Well-deserved. Yeah, well-deserved on all fronts. Uh, mm-hmm. I, I'm not sure. It might have won more awards beyond that. Probably, yeah. I mean, it definitely won more awards, but, like, more right, Academy Awards. Right, specifically yeah. Academy Awards, right. Fair enough. Yeah. But uh, this one, yeah, it's been sort of a top ten movie for me for a long time. Mm-hmm. And when I kind of forget about how great it is, I'll eventually watch it again and just 
Like, even this last time, I was on the edge of my seat. Totally. so much of the movie. It's like, I know exactly what's going to happen. Me too, yeah. it does suspense so fucking so well. So well. It's so good. As I mentioned, this one came out in 1991. It was directed by Jonathan Demme based on the Thomas Harris novel. Red Dragon? Uh, no, this one was based on the novel Silence of the Lambs. Right, okay, yeah, that's it. he did, like, a trilogy, like, Red Dragon, right. Silence of the Lambs, and Hannibal. Right, and, I forgot um, it was more than one book. Okay. Yeah, this one was the Dilly. middle one. I haven't read them, if you can yeah, tell. Yeah, because uh, I know you're familiar with the TV show, and that kind of collapses all of the books together. Yes, and I know we have Red Dragon. Yeah, which was actually made even before Silence of the Lambs as a movie called Manhunter. Right. Starring someone other than Anthony Hopkins, because uh, I think I want to... Hey! That interruption—that that. <laughs> interruption is just our our very mean cat Calypso uh, getting mad that the the kitten is, is in the same room as her. In the same room, yeah. She's not quite adjusted. Yeah, she's not a fan. Yeah, so she, you might also hear those. We should really just lock them out while we, we really record. Should. But but I want to protect the baby. Yeah, that's <laughs> she's a good so point. tiny. You ferocious beast! Are you the great red dragon, Calypso? <laughs> <laughs> and with that, she says, fuck you, and jumps off the table and leaves, the, goes into the bathroom. Yeah. Okay, so anyway, um, <laughs> I just want to say right off the bat that I still think it's ridiculous that we refer to the director as Jonathan Demi, given that the name is spelt like femme with a D, and oh. I just think it's like a dom femme kind of thing. <laughs> John, Jonathan John Dam. 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 How do you say it en français? And, uh, I mean, Jonathan Demme is great for a lot of other work. Started with Roger Corman, did Caged Heat, and stuff like that. But So we know that Roger Corman was, what, like, the FBI director or some shit yeah, in, in yeah, Science Roger of the Corman Lambs? Shows yeah, up in this. Uh, But he did one of my all-time other favorite movies that's not horror, uh, Talking Heads Stop Making Sense, which mm-hmm. is probably the best concert movie that exists. Cool. It's fantastic. You've probably, it's probably been on at some point. In the or background, or cooking stuff. or something, yeah. Yeah, yeah I don't know. That's a, that's a favorite of mine for sure. Cool. So some good uh, pedigree going into this movie. Stars Anthony Hopkins as Hannibal Lecter. It's the Hannibal notorious Hannibal. Hannibal Lecter, yes. Yeah. And uh, that's a role that's been played by, as I mentioned before, Brian Cox as well, and more recently Mads Mikkelsen. Mm-hmm. Uh, Mads Mikkelsen, I think, did a great job, but there's something about Anthony Hopkins that's just like, it's very classic. I will give Mads credit because it's one of those things where you see Hopkins and you think like, oh my god, this is Hannibal. Nobody else could ever do this role. And then Mads Mikkelsen comes in and does like, takes a different approach to yeah. it, but it's still so fucking good. Yeah, I'm not going to sit here and say which is like necessarily better. Or yeah, because they're, like, so, they're so different that I love yeah. them for completely different reasons. Yeah, like, like I really think he did a fantastic job in the show. Absolutely. Hannibal. Like Mads yes. did a great job. Yes. Um, but we have uh, Anthony Hopkins doing the, the classic one with all the classic moments that Clarice. are still still kind of uh, aped in uh, well, yeah, pop even, culture today. Mm-hmm. And even, like, um, I know, because for some reason, I remember growing up, we had a VHS copy of Silence of the Lambs. And it's, oh, yeah. like, the face with the death head moth on the mouth yeah. and stuff. And I remember seeing that and being like, this looks cool. Mm-hmm. And, my, you know, I'm like six or whatever. Mom's like, no, it's a scary movie. Don't watch it. And so she's like, it's about a guy who eats people. And so I, you know, it's always had this like notorious thing in my mind. Like, that's so scary and taboo. Yeah, I, like, I had the exact oh, same thing. Oh my God. I heard about it. I thought it looked so cool, but it was just built in my mind as like, it's a cannibal for, movie. For me, it was the one that's like, he wears people. Oh, and, like, yeah. My mom didn't get that dis- far. They didn't make the <laughs> distinction between, um, Buffalo Bill and or Hannibal. Hannibal Lecter. Yeah, I just knew that. it was about Hannibal the Cannibal. So, yeah, I um, 
I didn't actually watch this movie until, I don't know, I was in my early 20s. Was it when we saw it together? Yes. Yeah, okay. Because, yeah, I was, it was one of those ones that was just like, even though I was like, oh, I can probably handle it, it's probably fine, it's supposed to be a really great movie, just having that, like, notoriety for, in the back yeah. of my mind from when I was, like, six or seven was yeah. like, oh, ooh, like, there's still a little bit of a block there to make me, that stopped me from kind of, like, seeking it out yeah. on my own, I guess. Yeah, there's some movies that did that for me, too. It took me a long time to get around to Event Horizon, but mm. I was very, uh, like, I'm so into horror, I have to see Event Horizon now because of the notoriety right. behind it. Because that was one that kind of scared people my age, like, my age group, my friends yeah. would see it and say, like, this movie terrified me because they were all, like, what, it came out in 97, so I would have been 11 when mm-hmm. that came out. and Still young enough to be like, well, well yeah. I didn't see movies. it until I was 17, and I really enjoyed it, but it wasn't like... Oh, I'm scared. I'm terrified. Mm-hmm. Kind of thing. It was just like, oh, wow, I get why people were creeped by this. It's totally. Cool. Especially 11-year-olds. <laughs> yeah, even though the acting is atrocious and there's so many cheesy bits it's in it. It's excellent. The parts that work really work. They work. <laughs> yeah, but we're not talking about Event Horizon. No, we're talking about Silence of the Lambs. But yeah, even because um, I know like my mom, she used to watch horror movies when she was like younger. And then they, I don't know, started... Now she she can't because the, she'll dream about it is what she always right. says. But every once in a right, while, we were watching the fog in the basement. Your mom came and he's like, "Is this the fog?" And we're like, "Yes." As a matter of fact, it is. So she's seen a whole bunch of like I think when we went to see Halloween in theater, she's like, "Oh, I remember seeing that. I was on a date with so and so and blah blah blah." I was like, "That's funny because it's so unlike the you that has been around my entire life." Yeah, no kidding. <laughs> but yeah, every once in a while, something will come up in conversation, like some reference to Hannibal the cannibal or whatever yeah. and he'll or she'll just be like i just i just remember the way he said her name like clarice and she's like oh Did like, that weird tongue yeah thing. like it's just it, it sticks with you yeah <laughs> decades later even on top of that and you know saying the second but no way lesser we've got jodie foster as clarice starling and it's funny for the longest time i thought that was her voice right oh that she has the like the like the, west, the, the west virginia, virginia accent, accent and stuff yeah yeah no, she plays it up really well. Yeah. I mean, you know, it's one of those things that I'm not from West Virginia, and this was, would have been my first exposure to that kind of thing. So right. for all I know, people from West Virginia could have been like, oh, this is the most atrocious attempt at a accent I've ever heard. Like, I don't yeah. know. It's, it it's like it's like not. in Twin Peaks when they go up to Alberta and they have these fucking Frenchmen. <laughs> that was so good. It's like, we're going to, to Alberta, Canada. Time, time. Oui. With Jacques Renault. Oh, Jacques Renault. Go up to Alberta. <laughs> Canada. Whereas, like, you know, as they say, Alberta is the Texas of Canada, to give you a frame of reference. So the whole, mm. like, French-Canadian thing is, like... There are pockets here, but... Yeah, oh, of course, yeah. of course. But uh, it's not, like... Like, I can't speak French for shit. I hear more people making fun of French-Canadians than I hear French-Canadians in Alberta. Like, Word. I'll put it that way. Yeah. Um, but anyway. <laughs> yeah. And uh, I think she does a fantastic job mm-hmm. in the role. Like, um, oh, she kills it. Especially... Like, she goes through these phases in the movies, like, at the start when she's the upstart trying to prove her, her worth, and she's sort of going uh, toe-to-toe with Hannibal, like, mm-hmm. in that sort of, like, mental game thing. I think she really kind of stands up in this in this great way that it's, like, he, he calls her naive, he thinks, like, oh, you're, you're, you're totally green and all this kind of stuff, but she gets him at times, and I think she does that convincingly. Mm-hmm. And then the later sequences, when especially, like, the sequence in the basement of uh, Buffalo Bill's place. Mm-hmm. Like, like I was genuinely terrified for kind of thing the first time I saw this. And even though I know how what the outcome is, it's still just so intense watching it is. those sequences. Oh, my God, yes. 
So, ha- so what about Hannibal? Let's talk about Hannibal himself. Talk about Hannibal himself. So, um, okay, so I have a cousin named Hannah who, um, and so, like, there's me and my two sisters, and then there's my mom's cousin has three kids as well, very similar in age. So my dad, like, nicknamed all of the, you know, he because my dad makes stupid nicknames for, like, everyone and everything. That's where you get it from. That's where I get it from, my tendency to give our cats, like, 10,000 nicknames each that are all really yep. stupid and cursed. What was the latest one you gave Calypso? The Poclipsy tapes. <laughs> a little bit of a stretch there, because I've been calling her Clippy, then I call her Clipsy and Clipso, and I was like, Clipsy. <gasps> The Poclipsy tapes. It might <laughs> and you're be, just like, I hate this so much. It's, but it makes me laugh every fucking time. Me too. It's so stupid. Um, so, and and so, yeah, growing up, um, he he would call, yeah, he called Cousin Megan, Meganopolis. He called the, I know. The city of Megan. Meganopolis. He called uh, the little kid uh, Thomas. Did he call him Tomasaccio or Tomasino? I think it called him Th- Tomasaccio, which is like an Italian like, if you, so it's like portmanteau, I guess, of like bad Thomas, like Tomasino would be the, or like little Thomas. So Tommaso would be the name, the, the Masaccio so Tomasaccio is like bad Thomas because he's a naughty boy. And he called Hannah, Hannibal Lecter. And so I, not n- knowing the reference, I was always like Hannah Belector, like that's it. Where do you get the last name Belector from? <laughs> hey, I'm Hannah Belector. I'd like to sell you some insurance. <laughs> right. And then I grew up. And I'm like, oh, Dad, what the fuck? <laughs> <laughs> well, your dad was always joking that he was gonna like eat kids' ears and stuff. So, yeah, that's you know. fucking cat. Don't do that. Cursed. But anyway, the character. Hannibal Lecter. Yes. This is so complicated because he's obviously, like, the worst person. Yeah. (laughs) But he plays... This is one of those, like, cases where it's, like, that complicated portrayal where I wouldn't even call him a love-to-hate kind of thing because it's like, I don't hate him. I I hate that I love him. And, like, when we have um, this scene where we're kind of, like, not sure what's happened to him and the police are like investigating trying to figure out where these two officers that were looking like uh, in charge sorry of him. you mean like when the, the escape sequence? yes okay yeah the escape sequence as a first time viewer we're not sure if he did he escape is he injured is he dead is he yeah. some like combination of two or three of these things yeah. like what the fuck's going on i find i found myself like even this time where i know the outcome I still had the same reaction as the, my first time watching where I'm just like, oh no, oh no, Hannibal. Oh my goodness. I hope he's okay. He's such an interesting fellow. Yeah. <laughs> I love this sequence too, because it's like, for a lot of movies, this was a step above like the climactic sequence of the movie. Mm-hmm. Like this one was just so like, holy shit, edgier seat. And it's not thing. even like the climax. Yeah, yeah, this movie like has two climaxes because totally. there's the two different plot lines. I mean, they're interrelated, but there's the two plot of lines course. and the two serial killers. Yeah. Um, so it kind of has like, like next level climax moments for both of them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. It's definitely not one that I would say like outshines the other by any means. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I, like, I don't know which... I'd probably say the basement one was a little more intense, but then, like, get I me suppose, to sit down yeah. and watch the Hannibal Escape one again, and I would probably be like, nope, this one. <laughs> <laughs> like, it's it's a wash, mm-hmm. really. They're both excellent sequences. Mm-hmm. Yeah, just with the character of Hannibal. I love his weird sense of, like... I don't even want to call them ethics etiquette, I guess. Like, where he has very clearly defined ideas, or seems to, about what is rude and what is unacceptable. 
Right, when Clarice, like, says, uh, he won't come after me, he would consider it rude. Yeah, she's like, I just don't know. I just know he wouldn't because, yeah, he would consider, I think he would consider it rude in a way. Yeah. And, yeah, but then, yeah, you have this guy who's so, like, classy, highbrow, like, he's a, you know, a well-to-do psychiatrist before he became a fallen man in in an asylum Mm -hmm. because his horrible secret was discovered. It's like, he, so he, on the one hand, he has these, this very clear code of, like, this is rude and unacceptable. Like when that fucking, what's his name? Kibbs or the, the, the gross dude who he, multiple mix, multiple mi- mix. But yeah. So like when, what, like he, he gets mixed, like fucking kill himself because yeah. he's like, I cannot believe you just did that to like Clarice like that yeah. after just meeting her kind of thing. But then he'll also hear the story about how he like, just like bit off a, n- a nurse's fucking face and yeah. like her, like shit. Like, so it's like, Dude, that's pretty fucking rude. Yeah, it's so a bit rude. It, yeah, he has. So he clearly has a very clearly defined set of like his own personal ethics and stuff. And mm. I just, that's so fascinating to me because you have this idea of you know these sociopath, psychopath types who are either like super controlled or super impulsive. Mm. And he's obviously super controlled, but he has his impulsive okay. moments. Okay. But yeah, I just I think the the line that really gets me that I think sums up his character for me because I don't want to like him, but I love him. <laughs> and I hate that I do. Which is just goes to show it's really great writing, really great yeah, it's storytelling. It's yeah. incredibly great like character work, both in the acting, but also in like the writing and the creating yeah. of this character. But I think at the end when he tells Clarice, like, I won't I won't come calling for you because I I find the world a more interesting place with you in it. Yeah. I'm just like yeah, I find the world a more interesting place with Hannibal in it. Yeah, I love and that. I, it's like, I hope you'll accept I hope you'll, yeah, courtesy. exactly. And she's like, you know I can't. He's like, it's fine. Like, whatever, <laughs> bitch. Bye. Yeah. But yeah, I'm just like, the, yes, the world is a more interesting place with Hannibal in it. And so I'm stoked that he escaped. <laughs> yeah. It, like, when we can look at it, it's like in this fiction yes, kind of thing. In yeah. this fictional setup kind of thing. Yeah. It is, um, because thankfully no one is actually being victimized. Mm-hmm. Cool Unless souls. they're really rude. Yeah. I guess that's more the TV show, Eat the Rude. But Eat the Rude. <laughs> it's like that I can get behind, I guess. Yeah. Class boar. So I will... <laughs> <laughs> Class warfare. I love it. Um, what we have here, as far as the plot goes, is Clarice Starling being a trainee in the ranks of the FBI, a.k.a. cop school, in the academy specifically, like she's yeah. not a graduated FBI agent yet. She's still yeah. like, yeah, like you said, in training. She's a trainee. Yeah, um, she gets tapped by the uh, head of the behavioral unit, behavioral sciences or whatever. Yeah, yeah. to go and interview Hannibal Lecter, seemingly just to see if she can draw information from him because they're doing profiling of all the serial killers. Which you know made me think Mindhunter, that show on yeah. Netflix right now, right? Mm-hmm. Like uh, this, by the way, this movie totally paved the way for that show. A hundred percent. Like guaranteed. Um, But so she has to go down into this basement of this uh, institute where the most dangerous of the most dangerous um, institutionalized. So, you know. Violent types. Yeah. Yeah. They're uh, kept and unbeknownst to her she's supposed to try and fish for information from him about the buffalo bill case because she does suspect it but they're yeah. like no 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 you're, you just need to get him to, like fill out a questionnaire yeah yeah really what is more like let's see what kind of rapport we can establish and yeah, then because, because when she's in yeah. the office of the waiting for the behavioral guy to come and give her this assignment 
um, she notices it like shows all these uh, photos pinned up from this case of this guy dubbed Buffalo Bill. Mm-hmm. And so there's these serial killings going on. Yeah, because she, the bodies are being dumped in like different rivers and stuff yeah. all over the place. So yeah, they're they're kind of at a loss. Yeah, and as s- to what this guy like, how are they going to catch this guy? And so this kind of harkens back to real life because I'm pretty sure like not to get all true crime because that is not my genre. Um, but this does kind of resemble how uh, Ted Bundy was used. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't mean used like they used the no, like used him as as like, no, like to provide a psychological yeah, he, profile, he was, uh, into, like the motives and stuff. What was it like the Green River Killer? I think so. Like that, yeah. yeah, where he was um, able to say like, oh yeah, he's like going back to the bodies and fucking masturbating and like yeah. shit like that. And they're just like, how the fuck? Like we would like you know, unless you talk to someone who's like that fucked up in the head. Yeah, it would never occur to yeah, you yeah, to yeah. be like, oh, this is definitely happening. But to, for him to be like. Oh yeah, that's what it's he's like, doing. It's obvious. It's obviously that's like that's what he's doing because like that's what I would do. Yeah. So <laughs> there's something so, to be said. That's kind of what we we get um, with her assignment, and uh, he immediately starts playing games with her and like drops these little clues that she latches onto that sends her to like the storage unit mm-hmm. where she finds like the head, uh, the severed head of one of his patients, kind of thing. But he didn't do it. He didn't do it. He found it and was like, "I'll just put it there for safekeeping." But uh, basically what we start to glean from this is that Hannibal may be connected in some way to the Buffalo Bill killings. At least he may know who this person is. But they do this sort of quid pro quo cat and mouse kind of game where Mm -hmm. he's learning about Clarice because he's taking this weird obsessive fascination in her. And uh, in exchange for her giving details of his life to like, I don't know, um, hit that psychiatrist part of him that's just like aha i need to know your psychology i want to get inside your head Mm -hmm. kind of thing um he's dropping clues to help her catch buffalo bill Mm -hmm. and he's being um very coy with it kind of thing (laughs) he uh gives like false information to other people he fucks around or at least partially partially false. false yeah but he leaves like the clues for Clarice to find, like, in yeah. her personal case files and stuff yeah. like that. Yeah, or, like, he seems to be able to to trust her to decode, to differentiate between what's re- yeah. real and what's not. Like, she was able to parse from what he said. She's like, okay, I don't, you know, I think this, this say this name is fake, and it turns out to be an anagram, and she figured yep. out what it's for and why he chose it, yeah. but was able to parse out, like, the, the truth out of what he said and then extrapolate it to, like, yep. the real, like, okay, this is what's yeah. really happened. Like, you know, oh, he was in Baltimore, so let's go there instead of trying to f- find this fake name and address kind of yeah. thing. And then it's like, oh, the, the name means, like, the rest of me or is yeah. the, the anagram for it, so... Yeah, she's able to, like, kind of decode that. And so I think part of playing that game is, like, he recognized... She's like, I think she's capable. Yeah. And it's fun to see. So let's do it. And um, as this plot's going on, we see Buffalo Bill. He's abducted uh, someone who turns out to be the senator's daughter. Mm -hmm. And uh, he keeps his victims in a well, like a, a dry well in the basement of the weird house he lives in. For like and three days. For like three days. And uh, essentially, as Starling figures out, he's making a woman's suit out of actual women mm-hmm. kind of thing. And that was kind of based on Ed Gein mm-hmm. a little bit for some more true crime. They kind of went into the to the history of actual serial killers when mm-hmm. they were make, coming up with these characters. But Which that, makes sense because that would have all been around in like just in the last few decades. Yep. Going into the or last couple. Yeah, because like 70s I mean, when the books into the came 80s out, yeah. was when... Uh, 
Because I know Manson was like 69. Yeah. So yeah, there like, was just like kind of onward. Of, yeah, like, for a couple couple decades there. Yeah. But that's with Buffalo Bill is where we get into the problematic content mm-hmm. of this movie. We get he's basically making a suit out of women's skin. And the whole thing is coded as like the killer transsexual kind of thing mm-hmm. like the crazy killer transsexual yeah like type. it's yeah it's hitting on all these tropes and yeah. all that stuff um for example when they find the first or what not the first body when they find a body once clarice is attached and they go to this small town to um do like an autopsy and all that kind of stuff or at least an examination mm-hmm. um Clarice notices something jammed down her throat, and when they pull it out, it turns out to be a cocoon for uh, a a moth. Mm-hmm. And at once they say it's like a, it's a moth or something like that. We cut to the basement of the killer, and there's this room just full of moths and butterflies, and there's butterfly arts on the wall and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, because they note that they're like you know this this moth like when they are able to identify like the genus or the species or whatever, they're like oh this moth is like only found in Asia, so somebody yeah. would have had to have like imported these pupae and they would have had to like feed it like milk and or sorry like honey and nightshade and like cared for it so like this is somebody who has like entomological knowledge who yeah so that's 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 a weird kind of they don't really go into that much about like oh why is he really into like weird moths and like yeah but that's not really what's important it's not but it's but it's just i i thought that was kind of interesting given that how the imagery is so Mm -hmm. important but then you but but i'm I'm trying to say like the imagery is important because of how much that imagery has been associated with transition like gender butterflies specifically specifically butterflies and quite frequently with um, male to female Mm -hmm. to use like sort of outdated language kind of thing but if you're going Um, on a very sort of binaristic like yeah if you were going off the binaristic like like um, like i know that's how they phrase it on like the uh medical forms and stuff like that like mtf Mm -hmm. or fdm um it's using this imagery that uh like, like I know the uh, clinic in Montreal where they do a lot of surgery and operating stuff is just covered with butterfly art. Mm-hmm. It's everywhere. Totally. Kind of thing. And, uh, and some of it has been like paint, painted or created by pa- like former patients yep. and donated and stuff. Yeah. So, but it, it's still a very common it's, it's like, like theme. It's like a common thing. And I mean, it makes sense to even point this out in the movie. It's going through changes. It's transitional. It's, it's, cater- it's Yeah, it's the caterpillar into the butterfly kind of thing. Yeah, or like the weird worm into the moth. <laughs> so um, as whether the movie tries to distance itself from actually taking up the trans kind of imagery with the killer and all that stuff, because they do make reference to it. Mm-hmm. Um, it's hard to ignore that kind of imagery. Yeah. And like that killer's obsession with butterflies and stuff. Especially since it's, not, yeah, especially since it's never actually explained or really yeah. looked into beyond just that sort of like, oh, it's these moths. So, yeah. okay. Because what happens with that is Hannibal talks about how like it's uh, symbolic and it's important but that the cocoon was in her throat. Right. Because the butterfly is transitional. And that's when they start getting into actually pointing to Buffalo Bill as transsexual, kind mm-hmm. of thing, as they put it. Or as Clarice Starling puts it. There's no correlation in the literature between transsexualism and violence. Transsexuals are very passive. And uh, one thing that this does is um, it purposely tries to pull us away from the idea that trans 
people and trans women are dangerous. Mm-hmm. Like, like she points or inherently out, at the, least. The, the language she uses, it's it's kind of odd. Doesn't quite sit right with me, but it's like you know, it's like no, the literature shows they're very passive and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. Um, which is a nice difference from the usual, like, oh, the evil, the evil trans is after me. They don't even know, they can't even understand what gender is, so of course they're fucking crazy, or like, whatever. Yeah, it's like they're they're all crazy and they're all violent men, is basically the idea that's always put forth, so the fact that they explicitly talk about trans people at large as like, no, that that the opposite is true, Mm -hmm. is like, that was a bit refreshing. Yes. But then there's also a problem for me in this sequence, in that um, Hannibal immediately goes on to say that Billy is not a real transsexual. But he thinks he is. He tries to be. He's tried to be a lot of things, I expect. It's one of those things where there's, um, it's, it's, uh, it's tough, because I don't want to say, like, how dare you say the deranged killer is not trans and all that stuff. <laughs> but at the same time, it does, in my mind, remind me of uh, the medical gatekeeping that goes on. I was going to say, like, I don't, I don't know what the, because, you know, Hannibal's a psychiatrist, so yeah. being, being a, you know, the category of transsexual would have been a very specific thing in, like, the DSM and stuff. Yeah, I'm pretty sure at the time I'm it not sure what edition it would have been. been. Yeah, like, I, th- I think it still would have been considered a mental illness. Yeah, it might have been the DSM-3 still, if not 4. Yeah. It, the, fi- the, the most current one came out in came 2013, out, yeah. I believe, so, and that's the most recent, but before that, yeah, it would have been the 4, and obviously, and then backwards so yeah so in in terms of yeah the medicalization and stuff of it there would have been a very specific like criteria to be to fit into like you know transsexualism yeah, or I whatever they would have called four it then would have been gender identity disorder oh okay um five is what gender dysphoria yeah so three was probably straight up transsexualism but mm-hmm. yeah, or transsexuality i don't know how whatever um, the, the the ismality yeah whatever the like noun for it mm-hmm yeah, so there would have been, like, psychi- psychiatrically speaking, I guess, very specific criteria, because it would have just, at that point, I think, just been considered, like, a psychiatric thing. Yep. Whether or not that would, treatment would involve transitioning and stuff would, of yeah. course, be very, like, depending on the practitioner you encounter, I guess. But, so in those terms, he might have not, or B- Buffalo Bill might have not met the criteria. Yeah. In which case, you could, he could, Hannibal could confidently say, like, he thinks he is, but he's not. But then. But that's so That's still key. Exactly. Because um, I can't think of a trans person that I've ever met that hasn't, to some extent, like, when they've been open about it, talked about, like, having to sort of play certain aspects. Absolutely. Up. Like. Um, to access care. Yeah, it's one of those things where, for example, sort of playing up femininity mm-hmm. more so. Like, you know, if you are transitioning to female, using mm-hmm. the jargon, you're expected to be a very sort of like cisnormative version of what femininity looks like. And it doesn't really allow for androgyny or queerness. Or tomboys or, or any, yeah. like, yeah. Like, it's it's getting better, but for... Mm-hmm. for a lot of time it's you know you almost have to be performative because they even have things like in order to get approved for surgery you have to undergo like real life experience they say where you have to live authentically as a woman for a year kind of thing which they have in mind is like high heels and dresses yeah. and makeup it's and one it's of those like... things where it's like what does that mean authentically as a yeah. woman because um you know and it's this is where you get all that turf bullshit coming mm-hmm. at you because if you do live as they say authentically as a woman you're 
basically boiling women down to this one specific kind of femininity and it's bullshit, which and it's I agree with. Completely it's completely artifice and performative. Say, yeah. But if you don't do that, then you're a failed woman. Like you're mm-hmm. not you're not performing femininity and therefore you're clearly just a man. And trans women so, are held to such a different standard yeah. than cis well, women. They're, they're they're held to both standards. Yeah, and simultaneously. It's, it's a, a damned if you do, damned if exactly. you don't kind of situation. It's a like complete contradiction that is just somehow overlooked because the world sucks. Yeah. And it's just like, oh yeah, this is acceptable. Like I've been thinking a lot lately about how um you know, trans women get told like, oh, you're a man, you're you're just a crazy man or whatever. Yeah. But can you imagine if somebody who was like like a trans, you know, who who is as we you know, we would picture a trans woman, if she tried to say, Yeah, I am a man and assert her masculinity, she'd get the shit beaten out of her be like, yep. You're not a real man. So it's like you're a man, but if she tried to say, Okay, I'm a man, then they'd be like, No, you're not. Your masculinity is a failure. So this is just ridiculous. Like, gender is such a fucking it's farce. It's such a double standard. And um, it's such just contradictory, but we are just have so much cognitive dissonance of, around it. On that note, it reminds me of the case where that uh, trans woman went to the DMV to get her right. idea um, done, and they wouldn't put female on her ID because they were saying, like, No, you're a man. You, you can't be female on your ID because you're a man. So in protest, she went to the parking lot and took her shirt off. Cause it's like, Oh, if I'm a man, then then I can expose my titties and it's fine. And, um, she got arrested for public indecency. Yeah. And like, the so it's one exposure. of those things where it's like, what? I mean, don't even get me started on the whole like public exposure. Ugh, that being yeah. indecent. Like, you know, if we can get into a free the nibble debate too. Yeah. But like, or like Castor Semenya where they, you know, ruled that like, oh, because you're, te- because you're like intersex and your testosterone levels are a certain level. She can't com- compete as a woman in certain distance running events, but she can compete. As- so she has to compete as a man in some, but then in the long, in diff- different ones, like, oh, you can still compete as a woman. And it's like, what? Basically, they're just trying Fucking to. Fucking what? Um, drag trans people down and they try to give them the worst they can of every situation yeah. it's like you are we don't want you to be happy or be Mm-mm. fulfilled or have anything good in your life so we're going to give you the worst we can of any situation yeah. and we're not even going to have a set standard we're just going to pick and choose what we want yeah we're just going to pull you know we're going to do your well-being and everything and everyone else is at the expense of policing gender yeah. and upholding this like bullshit ideal that nobody even yeah. achieves it's like Oh, okay. You want to be a woman, so your idea reflects it. No, you're a man. Oh, okay, you're gonna take your shirt off like a man. No, you're a woman now, mm-hmm. and we're gonna arrest you as such. Just like oh, these categories of events, you know, we think that you as a man would have an advantage, so we're gonna yeah. say you can't compete with women. Whereas these other events, that advantage isn't there, so you're not gonna compete with men because you're not a real man. Exactly. Yeah, I know. It's, 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 it's this. It's this. It's this expand. It just shows that like. I don't know, the categories are never stable. They expand and they contract as it to include and exclude as there are different benefits and detriments. It's the same thing with like legal, with like definitions of disability. Like Mm -hmm. when it comes to excluding people, the definition of like what counts, what counts as disabled can be very, very broad. But when it comes to things like benefits and social safety net and things like that and being able to you know be taken care of by society because of disability all of a sudden the pool for what counts as truly disabled shrinks so small oh you're not blind enough you're not deaf enough you can stand in your wheelchair for five seconds yeah you're not like physically impaired enough you're not like yes all these things where it's like okay you're you're physically impaired enough that we don't have to include you in like everyday society but you're not physically impaired enough that we have to therefore like help you out because of your exclusion 
And then you have people just, like, fucking dying because they can't afford to, like, eat or afford rent and stuff because they're not disabled enough. Yeah, it's... But they're too disabled too disabled to like get gainful employment yeah. or like and, yeah. So it's same it's same totally... thing. All of these like oppressive categories that are just meant to just like arbitrarily organize people. Yeah, they're they're complete facades. Yeah, it's totally they, the world is a fuck. They crumble basically. under any cr- any pressure or any critique or anything, and they are violently upheld mm-hmm. because. They're just people cling to them. And I can't think of any institution that fits into, you know, like, violently upheld but so unstable that they crack under the slightest pressure as gender. Exactly. Gender is, like, the stalwart of that Mm -hmm. (laughs) kind of thing. Absolutely. Um, And the gatekeeping continues in Sansa Lambs in that they talk about how uh, in order to catch him, you should check with the three major hospitals doing uh, gender reassignment surgery Mm -hmm. because guaranteed he's applied to at least one, if not all of them. And has been rejected. And been rejected, yeah. For not fitting the, the being a proper tran. Yeah. Okay, so I'm not American. I live in Canada. And it's not 1991. So I can't speak fully for the experience then, but that part just made me think like there there was a bit of suspension of disbelief there Mm -hmm. because I think like, okay, so they're saying this person just applied and got rejected by the clinics themselves because why not kind of thing. When I think about how gate kept even accessing like hormones, yeah, hormones, even just like hormone blocking, let alone hormone replacement. But it's one of those things where it's like. I believe in Canada, to access surgery, you need to have two psychiatrists sign off mm-hmm. on you, two of them. And, you know, in parts of Canada, like Alberta, it's like, good luck even finding two. Yeah, that, one of them that, just retired. Right, it has to be two that are specialists. Yeah, in specialized in ge- like gender. Not just any No, can't just be any psychiatrist, yeah. Um, and you're right, the big one just kind of retired. So mm-hmm. I think there actually are two, maybe three in the entire province. Yeah, I think we, because we still have the one in Edmonton. I think there's one in either Calgary or Red Deer. Yeah. And assuming he's still practicing. Yeah. And I, and I think, I mean, like we had that gender clinic that just opened. So just opened, yeah. I think maybe they brought in a new one. Yeah, maybe. Or a new one trained or graduated yeah. or whatever. But yeah, it's very, it's very up in the air kind of thing. Yeah. And we also supply all the doctors for like Saskatchewan. Yeah. The wait lists are insane. Yep. Um, that's the other thing. There's, uh, on top of that, you have to have been on hormones for at least a year, I believe, but for a certain amount of time, you have to have done their year of real life experience mm-hmm. and all that stuff. So you have to get letters from these two psychiatrists and then you have to wait on a huge wait list to be approved for funding. To even get the surgery funded, yeah. and yeah. And, and then you so, have to go all the way to Montreal. Yep. I love so, it. Like, Montreal's great. Fantastic. Yeah. But, like, that's... It's not cheap. It's yeah. not close. It's uh, not easy. Yeah. And, yeah, that's, like, you know, four hours on an airplane from here after having really, really intensive surgery on a really sensitive part of your body. Like, that, I wouldn't want to be sitting for four hours after that. That's yeah. fucking crazy. Yeah. So, yeah, it, it's a whole... It's a whole process and ordeal. Yeah, so the idea that, um, I don't know, it was just one of those things where it's just like, if only it was that easy. (laughs) (laughs) True, yeah, even everything I said, it sounded laborious, but it's like, if only that was all it took, right? Like, it's, it's, uh, so that's kind of like where it was with Silence of the Lambs for me on that front. But, you know, as they say, uh, Buffalo Bill would have been rejected mm-hmm. because, as they point out, Buffalo Bill is not a real transsexual. Even they, though oh. he thinks he is. Yeah. It's all, it's phrased like that, too. Yeah. Um, he, he doesn't know any better. And the way they talk about it where it's like, 
it's because he, he doesn't have any sense of identity and he feels like he's in a transitional phase. So he just has decided he's trans, even though by Hannibal and thus Clarice's estimation, he's not. It's a different identity crisis. Mm-hmm. Also speaks to the comorbidity of things that comes up with being trans, where a big part of why you need psychiatrist letters and stuff is they have to rule everything else out yeah. before they'll even entertain the idea you might be trans. They're it's not like, depressed. They're not borderline. They're not psychotic. They're not blah, blah, like so on and so forth. Which is why another thing that a lot of trans people I know do is if they do have other issues, they try to push them down, suppress them, or just ride them out without necessarily treating them as well as they could because... If something comes up that could complicate... Or, like, jeopardize their their, yeah. I did, their diagnosis. Yeah, absolutely. Because, yeah, it's like there are trans people who have depression, who have borderline, mm-hmm. who have anxi- all these things. So, and like you said, I think it's getting better where they're like, okay, well, we can put you on antidepressants, but not have that impede your yeah. transition process. So, you know, God willing. But, geez, yeah, I know the stuff that people have to go through yeah. is absolutely absurd. Mm-hmm. But all that aside, the movie definitely falls into distasteful tropes of the killer trans character mm-hmm. because Buffalo Bill is performing transgender mm-hmm. life, so to speak, by virtue of the way they talk about how Buffalo Bill thinks they're transgender mm-hmm. kind of thing. Like whether they are or are not, uh, I don't think that's really the debate here because, no. like I said, I'm not running to the bat to, to like, claim Buffalo Bill as, as like, <laughs> a trans icon. One of us, one of us king. Yeah. R.I.P. Um, but but at, this, at the same time, the idea that you have to be perfect in every way, mm-hmm. otherwise you're dragging down all the other transes, yeah. that's, like, fucked up. Or it's just, like, let's pretend that Buffalo Bill was 100% trans. I mean, we're talking about a fictional character yeah. here, but let's pretend 100% trans, like, that was not even in debate. Therefore, by them being a serial killer, every other trans is suspect. Whereas by that logic, then I should be terrified that every single white man is going to fucking shoot me to death. Mm-hmm. But it's not. But it's not the same because it's, not it's a lone wolf. It's yeah. it's a one time thing as opposed to yeah. like a minority individual part person yeah. representative of minority group is seen as a representative of yeah. their entire group. Yeah, and it's fucked up, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Um, Which is where like the respectability politics came into like cruising and stuff because if oh if though you see those guys at leather bars and stuff then they're going to think all of us gays are like sex pervert weirdos. And the sad thing is that the people that uh, are buying into the respectability politics they're not exactly wrong mm-hmm. with how the majority looks at them. Like I get exactly. it from their perspective where it's I do. like because they do the your your enemies, the people that are so homophobic, they do treat you like you are the quote unquote worst of your yeah. And there is something absolutely strategic and very useful and often very successful about playing up that idea of we're just normal. Like, you know, you say you have the like hardcore conservative types who say, we're just supporting family values. Well, you have this beautiful gay family with their gorgeous children who are, you know, middle class and respectable looking. And they say, well, we're a family. We have family values. And there's something really powerful and like rhetorically useful about being able to do that. Yeah. I'm not saying like throw throw it all out. Totally. Yeah. So I'm like, I like, so yeah, I I just want to be like, I get where it comes from. I think it can be very successful and strategically used, but we don't want to throw everybody else under the bus. That's the other thing. It's very academic and and easy for us to like criticize the faults of it Mm -hmm. without necessarily taking the reality. Yeah. And like being on the ground because, um, at the end of the day, you still have to live. Exactly. You still have to make it to the end of the day. In the like material reality of things. Yeah. But with, uh, Buffalo Bill, 
being trans. This falls into so many... Trans or not trans, it falls into so many tropes Mm -hmm. of the bad trans character. Yeah. And a big one for me is the sequence. The sequence. The sequence. You know the one. Where we hear Goodbye Horses, which whether it's associated with a transphobic scene or not, that song is a fucking banger. I fucking (laughs) love it. I love that song. The song predated the Um, scene, okay? Like, I've seen it parodied and and in movies where, you know, it's a reference to the scene. Or our friends' Instagram stories. Yep. (laughs) (laughs) Trying on our alien bodysuits. Anyway, so so this song (laughs) kicks up up and it rules. But we see um, Buffalo Bill sitting in a chair in front of a mirror. It looks almost like a makeup mirror. Yeah, it's like a very, like, like, boudoir kind of, like... Surrounded by costumes and, like, you know, like, high femme fashion kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. And they're applying makeup, which is such a trans trope where you see the the trans person... Putting on her face. Femininity. Putting on her mask. And this one is done very egregious, too, because uh, got the five o'clock shadow going on, which, you know... Depending on your your face type, your your uh, skin color, and your body hair, can be very difficult to hide. Yeah. But you know you've got the five o'clock shadow going on, putting the lipstick on, and then just the would you fuck me? I'd fuck me kind of thing go. Mm-hmm. And it's like the deep they pick the deepest voice they could possibly find, and it's sort of playing up this whole like they're really men kind of thing. Because, and it's just a fetish thing. Yeah, because fucking with. Oh, I hate so much the voice thing when it comes to trans women, the way that you have to perform this feminine voice, and if you yeah. do it wrong, you're giving yourself away. But, but if you don't try so at all, you're giving yourself away too. And in a lot of ways, things that are held up, like no shots against anyone who's figured their voice out, like yeah. good for you, and no shots on people that aren't there or can't there or don't want to be bother. there. Or don't bother, yeah. Um, but it's one of those things where I find a lot of the rhetoric surrounding it is almost infantilizing the same way that, like... The way cis women are are infantilized is the same way that trans women are expected to uh, perform. Mm-hmm. So they're expected to like lower themselves mm-hmm. in in a in a way to be able to be like like yeah it's 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 fucked up guys. Yeah, it is fucked up. Yeah, because um, we think about how much like cis women's voices are policed too. It's like. Yep. There's like just the no whole, like, fucking uh, winning. Vocal fry, uh, up talk kind of thing. Yeah, all the oh you like. Certain mannerisms, certain speech choices, like, yeah, it's so fucking policed. And so, yeah, trying to navigate that as somebody who's seen as an imposter as well, it's like, fuck. Yeah, but but there is the the idea that we have the deepest, most baritone voice they could get for an actor Mm -hmm. to play this. And then what they're saying is, would you fuck me? I'd fuck me. I'd fuck me so hard. That just speaks to mind one of the grossest things I find is always flung at trans women, but the idea that they're... uh, what autogynophiles is that that sounds right or it's this fucking bullshit phrase that some dipshit loser (laughs) came up with about trans women they're either actually gay men we're just really confused really confused gay men or if a trans woman is a lesbian they're they are an autogynophiliac where they're so obsessed with women's bodies and vaginas that they want to possess their own and they quote-unquote mutilate themselves to get there yeah and And it's it's a sex thing it's like a sexual gratification thing it's not a like you know this is who i am legitimately it's like oh you just want to like have surgery and get a vagina so you can like masturbate to it or with it like it's so fucking dehumanizing and gross 
But but the thing that, that gets me is first off, autogynephilia is bullshit. Yeah. It's not a thing. In case Tr- you couldn't guess. Terse will always say that it is a thing. But it is Terse not. don't know a, shit. They're uh, dumb as fuck. Yeah. But it's not a thing. They don't and, have any friends. No, they don't. <laughs> um on top of it not being a thing, there have been surveys done that show if you ask a cis woman the same questions you ask a trans woman to determine if they have autogynephilia or not, <laughs> cis women have autogynephilia. <gasps> Using the same rubric, all cis women are autogynephiles, like that they assume that trans women are, but trans women are fetishizers and medical mm. deviants kind of thing, whereas cis women are normal. Tired. If they do Penis the exact envy. same thing. Wired. Autogynephilia. <sighs> 21st more like, century. More like tired penis Emmy fired into the sun autogynephilia. <laughs> um, so you have these fucked up things at work in this movie. and These uh, tropes and these things, yeah. Like there's the most infamous part where Buffalo Bill tucks it back. And, you know, tucking is a thing that a lot of trans women partake in mm-hmm. kind of thing. And it's done as shock horror in this Mm -hmm. sequence. Like, look how bizarre and abject and weird. And I'll admit, even, like, the first time I saw this, like, that wigged me out. It was such a freaky scene. (laughs) Yeah. I was young and all that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. And uh, the movie plays it for horror kind of thing, even though it's one of those things that is, like, I imagine drag queens watching this scene would be like, oh, honey, you need to use some better tape than that. Right, yeah, or, like, have something to say about it. This is, like, amateur. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Um... And I mean, I guess it's like, I wouldn't say normalized, but there's more awareness of it in that, like, it, you know, bitches love RuPaul's Drag Race and, yeah, the, and yeah, the after yeah, show totally. is literally called Untucked. Oh, is it? Yeah. Oh, that's... The, like, behind the scenes kind of thing. Wow. While it, oh, yeah. Yeah. So that's just like, you know, the, the wigs are off, we're untucked, we're letting loose and yeah. shit's getting real now. Like, we are, we, you know, there's like shit talking yeah. each other and you get, yeah, they kind of like look behind the scenes, yeah. behind the artifice and the, everything done up. It's called mm-hmm. Untucked, so. That, yeah. <laughs> uh, wow. He's just like, of course it is. <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, I'm waiting for the RuPaul's Drag Race Challenge that's like, recreate the Goodbye Horses scene. Oh, shit, yeah. Like, when's that gonna happen? <laughs> <laughs> um, oh, Porntube's first challenge. I mean, Pornhub's first challenge. Word. Uh, so, it's, it's really hard to know how to take... This, this character and the portrayal of it because mm-hmm. it's like is it transphobic is it not transphobic because the movie points out that the character isn't trans but it's like how tr- like is there transphobia tied into the way that they are medicalized or not medicalized? like excluded from that category um, and on top of that is like even if we follow the movie's logic and be like okay that tracks mm-hmm. um the portrayal still Brings up all these, yeah, heavily yeah. on the hor- the horrific figure of the trans body yeah. mm-hmm. and the trans per- the trans woman specifically, yeah. or the crazy man who yeah. doesn't understand that there are only two genders yeah. and that all dogs are boys and all cats are girls. <laughs> it's just science. Yeah, I think like the whether it's transphobic or not, like there's not really a definitive answer. I think it, but we do have to recognize that we. As it exists, it's not in a cultural vacuum. It exists yeah. in the context of, you know, the the bathroom panic in the last few years. All of these, like, you know, trans people are seen as this, like, predatory specter yeah. in your, like, you know, little Tommy's school bathroom mm-hmm. or what, whatever the fuck, even though there's, like, no evidence to suggest that that's the case. It's a complete yeah. boogeyman thing. And just, like, so, like, 
as a piece, as a piece of, as a text or as a piece of art on its own, the movie, is it transphobic? You could make cases for and against, but I, yeah, I think what's more info, what's perhaps more important to focus on is the, like, or to acknowledge, I guess, would be like the cultural context that it exists in, right. the tropes that it relies on and where they come from and right. what they function to do right. in everyday life that you can't really like play with these tropes without acknowledging like yeah these are like generally used to serve like really really violent gender hegemony right and have a lot of really like horrible material consequences for trans Mm -hmm. people in real life Mm -hmm. namely really high murder rates really high suicide rates really high like high unemployment high like low life expectancy like all of these things that yeah we can say oh it's just a movie or oh it's it differentiates between the good trans people and the crazy, not actually legitimate trans person or whatever, but it's still, at the end of the day, taking part in this whole really rich, ugly... This tapestry of trans Yes, yes. Um, Actually, going to that point you made about, like, I'm the good trans versus the bad trans, like, that rhetoric comes up so much in trans communities. Mm -hmm. Uh, Like, I think of, like, recent things around, like... uh, trans influencers on social media being called to task because it's like oh i'm one of the good trans i am the classic transsexual whereas when you get these uh non-binary trans or people that are performing it differently they make it bad for the rest of us Mm -hmm. and it becomes this fucking argument where it's infighting in this gross way based off normative assumptions of how one can correctly do gender even if they're stepping outside the box a little bit mm-hmm. to do that you're still setting like cisgender norms as the base as the normal baseline yeah. af- after which everything is either modeled or deviates and yeah it's still just the reference point is still yeah. this unquestioned hegemonic rule of like oh this is like what normal is or this is what people really are yeah and everything is compared against it yeah it makes me think of, like, uh, something I've said about my own experience existing as a person is that I wouldn't call myself non-binary necessarily, but I would say that I'm a non-binarist. Yeah. Where it's just, like, I yeah. feel like even Same, people existing within the binary need to start acknowledging that it isn't actually a binary. Like, mm. you might fit at what has been classically called part of the binary, but we need to deconstruct the idea that it is man and woman. That this binary exists outside of us continually enabling yeah. it and repeating it and like reconstituting it yeah. again over and over. And I think part of it is the idea that a lot of the rhetoric around how like the 101 version of non-binary is they say look at it like a spectrum. But mm-hmm. we all think like this single line spectrum where, where there's man on one end, woman on the exactly. other. And it's like we can't look at it like that kind of a spectrum. Because, because it still it has two poles. Yeah, yeah exactly. exactly. It's... Um, we need and they, to reconstruct how we look at it. Absolutely. Yeah. Got to make it on like a 12 dimensional chess playing field. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but I think what you were saying um, about how where he's like, yeah, you might fit on this like binary thing, but we have to deconstruct it. The other end of that would be you have non-binary people who present very like what we would consider cis. And they're told, and so then they're told, oh, you're not, you can't be non-binary. You're just like a girl or whatever. But realizing that it's like, it's not that they have gender dysphoria, it's that they're dysphoric about the restrictiveness of gender. Yeah. So even if they're living in a way that we might say, oh, you you, you look like a cis person, it's like, it's still the rejection of the yeah. gender 
restrictions and categories as they are currently defined. That gets flung so much at um, assigned male at birth non-binary people. Oh, totally. Where, you know, it's just like, this is an event, I see this come up all the time, this is an event for women and non-binary people, and they mean women and non-binary assigned female at birth. Like, as soon as someone who maybe looks like a man may have male on their birth certificate kind of thing, Mm -hmm. as soon as they walk up, it's like, I'm non-binary, they're just like, oh, we don't mean you. Yeah, there's this, like, assumption that it's like, oh, you're just a cis guy who's trying to, like, get cred and get access to queer spaces. So it's, we it's, don't want you here. It's exclusionary because it's not, it's almost like because we have hegemonic gender in that there's a hegemonic man, hegemonic woman. There has to be there's, like hegemonic NB too. Yeah. And that's so fucked up. Yeah. No, it's gender is a fuck. We said that many times and we'll say it many more, I'm sure. Yeah. But uh, that's maybe a little bit beyond where Sounds of the Lambs goes. <laughs> um, Just a little, like a few decades beyond too. I think this is probably one of the best serial killer movies one of the best thriller movies absolutely anything like that like i think it deserves the accolades Mm -hmm. and i think it's a great example of you can really like something and still understand how it may be problematic can be your problematic fave yeah like critique shit that you like the whole point of this podcast exactly yeah because like i said sounds lambs is one of my favorite movies it's Mm -hmm. Excellent. We just watched the Criterion Blu-ray of it, and it looked stunning, and I was so happy when they announced they were putting it out on blue. Mm-hmm. It's like, this um, is well-deserved. Yeah, but I, I also understand the discomfort this movie can cause. Mm-hmm. I know, um, thinking of movies I saw when I was a youth compared to now, uh, re-watching this before, I like, I hadn't rewatched it in years, and it's one of those things where it's like, how discomfortable is this aspect of it going to be? Mm-hmm. Rewatching, I'm like, no, okay, okay, I see where there's problems, but this was still just a You're great like, movie, I liked it. I'm fine. <laughs> Whereas, like, you probably couldn't pay me to rewatch Ace Ventura Pet Detective at this point, right. because, like, the blatantly nasty transphobia of that one went right over my head as a kid as being, like, of course. a problem and gross and stuff. Because everything just, was like that, right? Like, Oh, yeah, 90s yeah. transphobia. Say, was, it, was it a 90s movie? It was a Comedy 90s especially. Movie. Early 90s comedy. If it comedy. didn't have at least, like, when the early 90s, several transphobic jokes. Yeah, it wouldn't count. Like, this In is, the 2000s, I mean, like, maybe, like, one, tr- one transphobic I feel joke. like this is the hegemonic transphobic comedy of the 90s kind of thing. We're using that word a lot, <laughs> yeah. hegemonic, but this fits. Grouchy, um, we love you. Uh, but yeah, that's one I won't rewatch that. Like, it's so much of the movie hinges on this idea that trans women are actually disgusting pervert men mm-hmm. that will trick you into fucking them. Uh, yeah, they're this disgusting spectacle to like gawk at and laugh at and make fun yeah. of and reassert gender through. Yeah. After we're done brutalizing them. Yep. So I don't care how funny it is when he talks through his butt or whatever the moments <laughs> in that movie make you laugh. It's like. Besides, if I want to see someone talking with their asshole, I will fucking watch, watch Pink, Pink Flamingos. Flamingos. They, they did it better and harder. Sing through their yeah. asshole. Yeah. That should be the next uh, Jimmy Fallon lip sync challenge. Surfing bird with your asshole. Hell yeah. Um, I suppose that'll do it for us today on our discussion of Sons of the Lambs. Uh, discussion we, slash rant. Yeah, we do have a couple recommendations. As always. Uh, I had a hard time figuring out what to recommend in terms of uh, this one because there's so many different ways you could go with it. Mm-hmm. Do you want to go gender? Do you want to go serial killer? Do you yeah. want to go like so many different ways? Yeah, so uh, I'm of course going to take the uh, gender route and a way that like really 
fucks with like what counts as uh, being a man, being a woman mm. in terms of transness. And I'm going with Sleepaway Camp 2, Unhappy Camp. Excellent! Such an excellent movie from 1988. Pamela Springsteen as Angela returns. And don't get me wrong, I love Felissa Rose's portrayal. And, like, you know, I love that she does the con circuit now and all that. Mm -hmm. Uh, But there is something so great about Pamela Springsteen's comedic take on the show. So good. So fucking funny. Oh, good. Yeah. So that's going to be my recommendation. Uh, it's it. probably worth seeing the first one before you see this. Absolutely. But the f- the second and third kind of work as a pair. I mean, they were shot together and mm-hmm. went back to back, and they're released a year apart. Third one's not quite as good as the second, but I think a big part of that is because it's cut back for the R rating, and that right. footage was lost and destroyed. Yeah, lost like they the have time. really shit quality of it on the Scream Factory Blu-ray as a special feature, not back in the movie. And I really think like if they had fucking put that stuff back in and managed to remaster it, it would have been yeah. a treat. Like it's still a fun time for sure, but yeah. it's that it's definitely like a step down for the sec from the second one for me. Yeah. Um, when I was in uh, Berlin. Alison Lyon gave a talk about uh, the way race and class was depicted in Sleepaway mm-hmm. Camp 3, and it was such a good fucking talk. Oh, I bet. It was so good. Oh, I would have loved that. Yeah, yeah. But Sleepaway Camp 2 and 3 are both worth watching. Absolutely. Um, actually, that's my recommendation. Double feature that shit. You'll have a blast. Hell yeah. Okay, and for you. Um, since I've already talked about it, like, brought it up several times, I'm going to recommend the Hannibal TV series. Oh, so good. Gone too soon. Yep. Yeah, it was cut, cut short. Because like, I think they were only planning for four seasons anyway, yeah. and they pulled the plug after three because it was just like... I mean, I'm amazed that this shit ever got to air on TV. Yeah, let's... And not just on... Like, it wasn't even, like, HBO or something. Like, yeah. it was like... I remember seeing commercials for it on just, like, CTV and shit. And I'm just like, how did... Like, what? Yeah. Wasn't oh that part of God. why it got canceled? I think so, because yeah. they're like, it's just too dark, and yeah. we just, like, can't, in, like, good conscience or whatever, keep... Because, like, like, it was recommended to us by someone at Derby at one point, who was just like, I just had to stop watching it. She's like, yeah, I got to this certain point where they were doing this, and I was just like, nope. I, was just, I cannot do it. And I, it. I, I admit, I was watching it, and I was like, oh, yeah, this is uncomfortable. I, I, can, I can see that. But I'm still going. Yeah. But we're, you know, here's hoping that they can somehow get a fourth season in because i think they said it might have even been last year the rights were like reverting okay and i think like pretty much the entire cast the creator and everything are like down like clowns to just fucking like go for it so like everyone is willing the fans are absolutely obviously yeah. going to be like hungry for more yeah. so ho- you know fingers crossed that maybe somehow this can happen mm-hmm. but we'll see but yeah it's um it's it's pretty homoerotic. It's pretty gay. It's uh, it's there is definitely a lot of slash fiction out there. Oh yeah, like it's 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 excellent. So definitely, I I would recommend that regardless. Absolutely. Well, hope you enjoyed that uh, discussion of Sons of Lambs. Tune in next week where we have a very special episode planned for our fiftieth, the big five zero. That's wild. Um, I won't spoil it for you, but, uh, I'm really looking forward to what we're discussing. Like it is so up my alley kind of thing, <laughs> and I get the impression it's very up your alley mm-hmm. too. So this will be a fun one. Uh, the plan is to have a couple of guests on for it, but we will see how that pans out. Mm-hmm. Mostly it pans out. I mean, like, let's see if the technology is on our side. Right. Because, uh, yeah. We're going to be doing a 
Skype call-in, which I've never done from across the country. (laughs) Yeah, all of our guests and everything we've done has always been in person. Mm -hmm. Like we we record across from each other at a table, kind of thing. So we'll see how it goes. All right, but uh, until next time, take it easy, keep it sleazy, and bon appetit. (laughs) 